Well, good morning. This time yesterday, I wasn't expecting to be here today. I was having a time of prayer yesterday afternoon with my prayer companion, Betty Shires, and one of the things she prayed for me was that the Lord would give me more opportunities of preaching the Word of God. <laughs> well, well, well. Prayer, prayers are not always answered quite as quickly as that, but... Uh, there was a phone call during our prayer time. Now, I don't answer the phone if I'm praying. So when later on, get Betty had gone, I, I thought, I'd better find out who's been on the phone. And lo and behold, it was your Graham. And of course, you know, the rest is history, as they say, that Stanley Shaw has not been very well and is not able to come. So I was asked, <coughs> would I come? Now, I admit that despite my long years of preaching, I hesitated. Well, 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 because I'm accustomed to having much more time to prepare, obviously. But then I remembered a word that spoken to a minister's group many years ago by a wonderful old professor of theology, a lovely old free kirk minister. And he said, if you're ever invited to come as a substitute for somebody else, don't feel put out that you weren't invited the first time. <laughs> if that happens, it just may be that for a particular reason, God wants to move the first intended speaker aside and make room for you and he wants to use you to bring some special word on that occasion. So I said, Graham, I'll come. But there's a second reason why I'm just so thrilled to be here today. You see, this is the last Sunday in February. And the last Sunday in February is a very special anniversary for me. I don't know if I've told you about my exploits in America. Maybe I haven't. But I spent almost all of 1956 in America. At that time I was heading my way into farming, going to be a farmer. And the opportunity came to spend almost a year in the States studying their farming methods by doing farm work with a farming family. And for what's the heart of my life? Uh, <laughs> they worked me from half past five in the morning till eight o'clock at night. And if I'd allowed them to do so, they'd have made it last seven days a week. But uh, I, I said, no, 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 wait, hold on a minute. <laughs> you know, I, I wanted to go to church on Sunday. So after a couple of attempts to take me somewhere else to the little Methodist church, uh, I was taken by a big Dutchman who was farming out in that area to a little Baptist church in a place called Silver Lake, Wisconsin. And within about three Sundays of going to that church the Lord had finally pinned me down now I find it very hard to understand when I really was converted because I first heard the gospel when I was about 12 years of age in my mind at least I trusted the Lord Jesus at that point in time and I read the Bible and I prayed and I went to church but over the years I knew very well that my lifestyle was not the lifestyle of a Christian. The Lord convicted me of the language that I sometimes used. So I'm reading James, who says, with the same tongue we bless God and we curse men. And when I read that, I was deeply convicted. I knew that was just a description of me. And so... I was, in a sense, feeling for this extra something that I hadn't seemed to require to get sorted. 
Do you know, I suspect this morning there are a great many Christians who struggle to live the Christian life, really struggle to live the Christian life, and experience a lot of defeats in the midst of their victories. And one reason why I think that happens quite frequently is because the gospel that was preached to them was a kind of watered-down gospel, which suggested that it was okay to put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and have him as our saviour and have our passport to heaven and then, well, it's up to you how you do the rest. That's not the gospel. The gospel calls us not only to submit to Jesus as saviour, bringing salvation to us, forgiving our sins, giving us eternal life, the gospel calls us to submit to Jesus' lordship in every area of our life. As one preacher was wont to say in bygone days, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. Another preacher said or wrote, there is nothing in your life over which God will not put his hand and say, mine. Ah, that was my problem. I was a believer, yes, in terms of eternal salvation and forgiveness of sins. I was all for that. But as for allowing the Lord Jesus to direct and control my entire life, hmm, for about ten years I'd held back. It's a long time. And there in that little church, a Baptist church in Silver Lake, Wisconsin, the Lord finally broke me down. And I knew I had to stop fighting against God in that whole area of who was Lord in my life. And I thank God that that night I went out for prayer at the end of the service and the next morning I knew that Jesus had really taken over control of my life because he cleaned up my tongue right away. I had made no effort, I didn't have to try one tiny bit to stop using bad, foul, evil language. Jesus took it away like that. And I said, thank you, Lord. You've shown me that you really are in the driving seat. And I'm going to challenge you this morning and ask, who is in the driving seat in your life? It's possible, you see, it's all too possible, due to various misunderstandings, to come to trust the Lord Jesus Christ, and he becomes part of our life. We come to church services, we hear the preaching of God's word, we worship God together, we pray, sort of, from time to time, if not very regularly at home. And likewise, we read our Bibles, somewhat erratically perhaps, at home. But there's far more to the Christian life than that. And we cannot get into the Christian life at the level it's meant to be lived until we surrender. Surrender, that's the word, to the Lordship of Jesus. It may be that one or two of us here this morning need to hear this. Because that's been your problem. You struggle to live the Christian life because you're still in the driving seat. And it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Anyway, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. 
with an amazing, wonderful, unconditional love. We thank you that you want to give us maximum and not minimum blessing in our lives. Yes, you want us to experience and enjoy the forgiveness of our sins and have the assurance of eternal life. But we know that you want to set us free from the awful tendency we have to want to control what's happening, where we're going, how we're getting there. We want to be controlling our decisions and not allowing you, Lord, to do that. Father, if that's true of any of us here this morning, would you bring us to the point of true surrender? We might go out here with a new lightness of step, a new lightness of heart, a new song in our heart, a new sense of joy and freedom. Because Jesus is truly Lord. So come by your Spirit now and speak from your word. In Jesus' name. I knew when Graham asked me to preach this morning that in some ways my preaching would be different today because I just didn't have time to prepare. But what the Lord led me to do was I had been going through some notes that I'd made years ago and actually before I went back to my study and looked for these notes, um, while they were still downstairs, I sensed the Lord reminding me of what I had headed in these notes as 316 Christianity. I think I probably gave this message once upon a time somewhere away in the past. I went upstairs, looked for this bundle of notes, and there right in the top were the notes that I have in front of me now, 316 Christianity. I had my eyes tested last week, and you know, sometimes the opticians talk about 2020 vision. It's all Greek to me, of course, but um, that means you're seeing pretty well if you've got 2020 vision. We're thinking this morning about 316 Christianity. Now you know very well before I tell you where we're going to kick off, yes? In John chapter 3. This must be one of the best known gospel texts in all the Bible. Jesus is speaking and Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him or literally into him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So that short, simple, but profound verse speaks about God loving. We're perhaps all thoroughly convinced that that is true. He loves us eternally and unconditionally. We won't pause to consider that in depth. It also speaks of God out of his love giving, giving his Son his most precious possession, the son whom he loved with an enormous, incredible, heavenly love. He was willing to give that son to the death of the cross. And when this message gets across to us in the power of the Holy Spirit, it does very often just bring us to our knees and bring tears to our eyes. The fact that God should love us this much that Jesus should be willing to come and die in our place to save us from our sins. But that does no good to us at all unless we are responding to it by the help of God's Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit goes to work when the gospel is preached, when the message of Jesus is shared, and he calls people to repent and enables them to repent and enables them to believe 
not only believe the facts, believe the truths, that's a start. But believing in the Christian sense is far more than that. It's well expressed here by Jesus when he says, we are seen to believe into him. Very often in John's Gospel particularly, our English translation says in, but the Greek actually says into. And the two words are quite different. You and I are in this room. We could, just in theory, stay here for the next seven days and not go out. Not much fun now, but uh, we might do it. We'll be in the room, in the same situation for a whole week. But how did we get in here this morning? We came in through that open door. The door was unlocked, and we came into the room. So into is a word of movement. In is a word of something stationary that doesn't move very much. And really, the Gospel call calls us to receive Jesus, yes. But that's one side of the coin. And the other side of the coin is that we believe into him. And that means we're actually moving out of a life where Jesus and I are apart into a life where Jesus and I are inextricably bound together. I am now not outside of Jesus. I'm in Jesus. I'm into him. It's a wonderful place of security. To know that we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's right in the New Testament. Of course, that same concept comes over again and again. So that's John 3.16. What if we turn back for a moment to Matthew chapter 3.16? What do we find there? Well, we read there about the baptism of Jesus. Uh, verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, and John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied that it be so now, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus is not only the Saviour and Lord of our life. He is also the pattern for our life. He did say, follow me. And that word carries the idea of imitating. Do, the way, do things the way I do them. Do things the way I did them imitate me well here is our Lord Jesus not yet begun his public ministry but before he gets launched into any public ministry at all something else happens to him and it was right it happened to him in the purpose and plan of God he was baptized by John in the Jordan River now remember that baptism was a baptism for sinners only. If you weren't a sinner, you didn't need to be baptized by John because he was calling on sinners, and we're all sinners, to repent and be baptized by John in the Jordan, which was something completely new as a, an indication of the fact that we wanted a changed life. Our repentance was real and not fake. And Jesus comes, a sinless person, and asks for a sinner's baptism. Hmm. Already he had identified with us by coming into a body of flesh. We have one of these. Now he's identifying with us in our sin. 
come in for a sinner's baptism and in the course of being baptized he is anointed with the Holy Spirit he went up out of the water and at that moment heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending upon him in Acts chapter 10 Peter's preaching in the home of Cornelius, a Roman soldier, and he says, You know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Now, many Christians, I think, fail to understand the difference between Jesus as Son of God and Jesus as Son of Man, human, the human Jesus, anointed with the Spirit. There's a world of difference between these two concepts. I grew up thinking that Jesus was able to perform miracles because he was the Son of God. Well, that was actually wrong. He is the Son of God and always has been and always will be. But the fact is, he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and he went about doing good as, as Peter preached in Cornelius' home, healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. What made him different and able to minister supernaturally and bring healing supernaturally and deliverance and the rest was not the fact that he was the son of God though he did remain the son of God it was the fact that he was anointed with the Holy Spirit now where are we going with this? well well 316 Christianity I hear the gospel I believe into the Lord Jesus Christ he and I are joined together from then on ah but what happens in many Christians' experiences is that well, I'm supposed to live the Christian life now. I'm supposed to tell other people about Jesus now and they try to do it. And it's very hard going. And it's not very effective. What's wrong? Well, they haven't been an anointed with a spirit as yet. Or have they? <laughs> We're not going to debate that this morning. Because John the Apostle writes to Christians and says, you have an anointing from the Holy One. The fact is, that anointing may have come to all these early believers as it comes to many now when they are baptized in the Spirit, as we'll think about in a moment. But here is, first of all, please don't overlook this. Before even Jesus is anointed with the Spirit, he is baptized by a mesh. Are you listening? I won't ask you to tell me whether or not you've been baptized by immersion. But baptism, as it's described in Scripture, is not an extra to tag on if you like these things. If you like getting really wet. If you like some ceremony, oh, let's get baptized. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Baptism in the light of Scripture is an essential part of our salvation experience. Now when, I don't know about people from a brethren background or similar you are, but I think it's probably similar to the Baptist, Baptist thinking in these matters, that Baptists tend to think, hey, this is my opportunity to invite all my relatives, my granny and my cousins and all these people to come to this baptismal service and they'll hear my testimony, they'll have to hear it because they're stuck in the church pew, they can't get out very well, um, and, and well that's my opportunity to prepare witness to Jesus, yes I'll go for that. What are they saying? They're saying that baptism is primarily about getting the gospel to other people. It's not. It does that, but it's a byproduct. 
But the purpose of baptism is to bless the person being baptized. Oh yes. That's why Pope Ananias said to Paul, Saul of Tarsus, what are you waiting for? Call upon God. Get baptized. Calling upon God to wash away your sins. Wash away your sins in a pool of water? Never. No, never. So what does this mean? What does this mean? We see all of us have a list of our sins. It's not a, not a perfect list because we've added things that weren't really sins and we've subtracted things that were serious sins. Satan also has a list of our sins. Again, it's, it's imperfect because he's imperfect. But God wants us to get rid of this list of our sins. Some people who've been Christians for years are haunted by something they did in the past that was really, really bad and damaged other people, etc., etc. Has God really forgiven me that? And God gives us water baptism for various reasons, but partly to convince us that yes, our sins really have been forgiven, washed away, not by the water, but by the blood of Jesus. So the second 316 is about being baptized by immersion and being anointed with the Spirit. Now in the early days of my professed Christianity, before I went to America, I never heard anybody speak about it being anointed with the Spirit. I had no idea what this was. I never heard the concept. Maybe read it in Scripture and wondered, what the hell does that mean? But you see, the whole concept of anointing is of paramount importance. That's part of our equipping. And to try and live the Christian life without the help of the Holy Spirit is a hard, hard job. No wonder people give up. Whoa. Yes. John 3.16, Matthew 3.16, Mark 3.16. What are we going to find there? Mark 3.16. Oh, that's the passage where Jesus is calling the twelve apostles selecting the twelve apostles and they're all named there we won't go into the names but we're told in Mark chapter 3 uh, well we go back for a minute to verse uh, no, Mark 3.16 where am I? he appointed about verse 14 he appointed twelve designating them apostles that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. It's actually verse 14, but verse 16 repeats the fact that he appointed these twelve. And interestingly, the word used there for appointed is a very common Greek word. It simply means to make, to do or to make. He make. Hmm. So he made these men different. He appointed them to a particular ministry. He appointed them and gave them authority to drive out demons. And that's serious authority. And that's needful authority. So, God has a purpose for every one of his children. We're not meant to be onlookers. We're not meant to be like passengers on a ship. We're meant to be crew. You know that. And to be that, God has to change us. God has to equip us. We're not all called to be pastors. We're not all called to be evangelists or Bible teachers or whatever. But God has a particular ministry for you and me, every Christian. God has something particular for that person to do. 
We used to sing an old hymn which said, There's a work for Jesus, none but you can do. And I used to think, that's rubbish. That's absolute rubbish. Some people are far better able to do that than me. It's nonsense to say there's a work for Jesus, none but you can do. And then I realised, oh no, hang on a minute. It's true. It's true. Yes, it's true. Because we are all absolutely unique. Do you like being unique? I quite like being unique. We're, we're unique. And nobody will do the same things I do quite exactly, thankfully. Um, we are unique, you see, and God gives us unique gifting and unique ministries. We're not surplus. We're active members of the family of God and the body of Christ. Oh, that's wonderful. John 3.16, Matthew 3.16, Mark 3.16. Well, we'll not leave out Luke because that's an important one. Luke 3.16 is a very important one. Very controversial one too, unfortunately. But Luke chapter 3, verse 16. John the Baptist this time is speaking. And John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water, in water literally, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals are not worthy to untie. He will baptize you, he will immerse you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. So there's water baptism and there's spirit baptism. And Christians, as you know, are somewhat divided as to what precisely constitutes being baptized in the Spirit. How does it happen? When does it happen? We shouldn't be in any doubt as to why it happens. Because it is to empower us with the Spirit of the living God. And here John actually speaks of fire as well as the Holy Spirit. He, Jesus, will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. The fire changes whatever it touches. Oh yes. He said, you and I, if we're going to be effective for Jesus as his servants, we need the fire of the Holy Spirit, because it's fire that changes what it touches. And if I touch your life as I'm touching it now in preaching the word of God, I want to change as much as I can change, but the Holy Spirit can change people through his fiery activity in our lives. Oh, yes. And it seems clear from the New Testament that throughout the early church, as we find it described in the New Testament, it seemed that these early believers, they were all people who had repented, they were all people who had believed into Jesus, they were all people who had been baptized in water, and it seems to me that they were all people who had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. But dare to say that in certain Christian circles, you won't get asked back to preach. Are you suggesting that every one of us ought to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, uh, John said Jesus would do that. If Jesus wants to do it, who am I to say no, Lord? Oh, oh that, I can't ever say no, Lord. The minute I say no, Lord, he's not Lord. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Oh. Well, well. Clothed with power. That was the end of Luke's Gospel. When Jesus told the disciples to stay in the city. They were not to rush around and start being witnesses to Jesus until something happened to them. Until they were clothed with power from on high. And sure enough, 
in accordance with the promise of Jesus the day of Pentecost came and that 120 group of believers were all clothed with power from on high otherwise they would never never have had the effect on that early community in which they lived such as they had they were empowered Jesus said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you the difference in a push bike and a motorbike push bike has human power motorbike has engine power <laughs> human power is good up to a point but when it comes to serving the Lord and ministering to Jesus ministering to other people the Lord Jesus Christ and so on we can't begin to do it in human power it doesn't work that way it needs the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives and through our lives and again, you see, in the early years of my Christian life and my Christian ministry as a pastor in Govan, I wasn't baptised in the Spirit until 40 years ago. But that changed my life. Oh yes. When God gives you such power, your life changes. John 3.16, Matthew 3.16, Mark 3.16, Luke 3.16, oh, Acts 3.16. Acts 3.16, the new... Believers, these first believers rather, had been by now baptized in the Spirit. They were a force to be reckoned with. And in Luke, in Acts 3.16, well Acts 3, first the early part of Acts 3, we read about Peter ministering healing to a crippled beggar. And of course that caused a riot because this guy had been disabled and crippled for 40 years and suddenly he was healed and running around and dancing all over the place. And the authorities, the Jewish authorities, were very distressed that these crazy Christians were capable of changing people's lives to that extent. It was embarrassing. They didn't like it. And so they questioned the apostles as to what was going on. And in, in uh, giving the reply, the apostles said, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him. As you can all see. But how did that begin? Go back, go back then to verse 6. Here is this beggar begging outside the temple looking for money. He had no other source of income. He's looking for money, as beggars still do. And Peter looked at him. And John looked at him. And Peter said, look at us. Eye contact, please. Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Boy, did he get something from them. Not what he expected. He expected some money. He got something infinitely more wonderful than money. He got complete healing after 40 years of disability. And how did Peter express this? Peter looked at this disabled man, this crippled man who was so helpless and so dependent on the charity of others. Peter looked at him and said, Silver or gold I do not have. But what I do have, aha, what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. He took him by the hand and he held him up and instead of the man was healed, became 
strong, jumped to his feet and began to walk, went around praising God and saying, look what's happened to me. That is real power. That is Holy Spirit power. Maybe I shouldn't say this, but I'm, I'm kind of glad that Eileen Russell's not here this morning because she lost precious Alec, her husband. He was not healed. And I, I, it must be very painful to have come through that sort of thing. And many of you have, I'm sure, as well. Seeing someone who was prayed for and prayed for and prayed for, no healing. We can't explain that. We really can't. Biggest question in the universe. But the fact is, this guy was healed. And some people today are still healed supernaturally. And I long, I long to see this. You see, the church is dismissed by the general public as being out of touch, out of date, irrelevant to modern life. Why do you guys not admit this? What they're doing is old-fashioned stuff and it can all stop tomorrow. They haven't much time for the church, most people. Oh. But when the church is seen to carry power like this, when somebody walks in crippled and goes out totally healed, oh, what in the world is going on in there? Well, Jesus has shown up. Supernatural powers at work. It's all part of our witness. What I have, said Peter, I give you. And before we even get the length of praying for supernatural healing and miracles and stuff, all of us who know the Lord Jesus have something to give to unbelievers. It's not just that we give them the gospel, that is basic, that is fundamental, that is of paramount importance. But in the course of giving them the gospel, we show them kindness, we show them love, we encourage them, we speak words that affirm them. All that is us giving what God has given to us in a sense, passing it on. Don't forget that. It's vital, it's important. Now, two more and we're through. Romans 3.16 I never thought this would last so long. Romans 3.16 Where are we? Oh yes, it is Paul quoting from the Old Testament from various Psalms uh, describing man's hopeless condition. Uh, back in verse 10 it says as it is written there is no one righteous not even one there is no one understands no one seeks God all have turned away they have together become worthless there is no one who does good not even one see God's standards remember are perfection not partial perfection but total perfection and we cannot as human beings attain that we are tainted by sin we are immobilized by sin we are spoiled by sin we cannot measure up to God's standards and the way of peace they don't know ends the quotation there is no fear of God before their eyes we need to be reminded from time to time of the plight of our unbelieving friends and family members and neighbours they are in a bad way and don't know it they don't know God and their level of goodness, and some of them are humanly good and kind and gentle people, we know that, and thank God for it. But they don't know God. They are not saved from sin. They are in serious trouble. As Paul puts it in Ephesians 2 to the Christians in Turkey, 
It reminds them that before they knew Jesus, they were without God and without hope. And this is the world in which we live out our Christian lives. This is the world in which we pray for non-Christians to be saved and Christians and non-Christians to be blessed through wonderful things like healing that they have never dared to expect or hope for. Finally, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul uses this word temple twice in writing to the Corinthian church. And on one occasion, the other occasion, he refers to each individual Christian. And he says, your body, singular, is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. But the interesting thing you see where he uses that and applies it to each individual Christian singular. In chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, he does it in the plural. And he says, don't you know that you yourselves, plural, all you guys who form the Corinthian church, all you brothers and sisters who form the, the fellowship here in Bodhisattva, together, combine to form another kind of temple. Each one of us is a Christian. Our body becomes a temple. It's only a tent before we become Christians. It remains a tent in terms of being fragile and only for our use for a certain length of time. But when I become a Christian, this body which I live in also suddenly becomes a temple. Hey! A temple. Don't you know, says Paul, that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you. He lives in us singularly, singly. And he lives in us collectively. And the good folk of Buddhism, these senior citizens you want to invite on a Friday afternoon and so on, they're walking into a temple when they come in here. Don't tell them that, they might get a bit upset. <laughs> they're walking into a temple. <laughs> and what happens in a temple? It's a place of worship. It's a place where God shows up. Oh, oh. So, while God lives, Jesus lives by His Spirit, God lives by the Holy Spirit, in our lives individually, in a strange, wonderful way, he also lives within the company of his people collectively. So each local fellowship of believers is a temple. And that's what makes us different. It's what makes our meetings different. You walk into a cinema or a theatre, it's not a temple. You walk into a church where believers gather, and lo and behold, without realising it, you've entered a temple. Oh. Well, I don't know what God's saying to you this morning. Let's go back to where we started. Are you living day by day under the Lordship of Jesus? That's the key issue. That's the key issue. That's the, that was the turning point, the major turning point in my life. Yes, I guess I was fit for heaven before I reached that point, but I wasn't much good on earth as a Christian living out his life on earth. My life did not match my faith. If you sense that the God is speaking to you this morning, 
and saying this very thing, he said to me 60 years ago, 60 years ago today, the last Sunday in February 1956, oh, I thank God for that evening, it was the evening time. He broke me. You know, we all need to be broken, to be blessed. We don't naturally bend the knee. We're a proud bunch of people by nature. But God hates pride. He loves humility. And if we don't humble ourselves, he's liable to take steps to humble us. So beware. Let's pray. Father, we can hardly find words to express our gratitude to you for the change you have made in our lives. Really, it's far greater than we've yet understood properly. And we thank you that it changes us not only for this time we spend on planet Earth, but it changes us for eternity. We can look forward to new heavens and a new Earth, where everything is perfect, and there is no sin or evil of any kind whatsoever. Father, we look forward to that. And we ask that in the meantime, you will help us to live a life in which Jesus is not Lord in theory, but Lord in practice from day to day. We ask it in Jesus' name.